0: We're beginning a new series uh, this morning, a series called Thrive, uh, looking at the book of Daniel, and uh, we're doing this series uh, across the whole church, so our kids are doing this this morning, Uh, young people in Excel are doing it. doing it midweek in life groups and different departments that we've got in the church. So we're all looking at the book of Daniel over the next four weeks, which is really exciting. At the start of January, we uh, ran a series called Follow. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And then in the Lent period, running up to Easter, we looked at a series called The Great I Am. Who is it that we're following? But this series of Daniel really focuses us in on what does it mean to follow Jesus in the world in which we live. And there isn't a better book in the Bible than the book of Daniel to look at that. So that's what we're going to look at. And I want to just kind of set it up for you this morning. Daniel uh, is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's one of the most well-known books of the Bible and least well-known books of the Bible. Some of it makes a lot of sense. Some of it not so much. The first half is kind of stories about Daniel and his three friends and how they interacted with three different empires and emperors and kings. The second half of Daniel looks at the end times, prophecy, very strange stuff. We're going to deal with that stuff at Deep Space, which is a Sunday night event that we're running on May the 11th. So two weeks tonight, we're going to look at some of that stuff where we can dive deeper into some of that little more difficult to understand stuff but in the mornings we're looking at the story of Daniel and Daniel is really all about a story of a group of people that were taken out of Israel and put in another land called Babylon it's all about the exile so there were three exiles the first was in 606 BC and in the first exile the Babylonian empire and the king Nebuchadnezzar basically invaded Judea and Jerusalem and they took away the royal family into exile 10 or so years later they came back for another go and they took a whole load of other people into exile. 10 years later or so they came back, took a whole load of other group uh, away from Israel and put them in Babylon, leaving just what the Bible calls a remnant, a small group of people in Israel. Daniel was one of those guys from the top end of society that was taken away and placed in Babylon. Now in the Bible, Babylon is often referred to also as a place called Shinar. and uh, Shinar basically means an environment that is hostile to God. Babylon is a world in which we live in which is quite hostile to faith in God. It tries to assimilate you. It tries to condition you to believe certain things. And I want to suggest that if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, and I know not not all of you are, we all live in Babylon. Uh, The culture and the context we live in is not so much Jerusalem, okay, like the people of God. It's much more a hostile world. And I want to suggest that we all live in this place called Shinar. We're deep in Shinar a lot of the time, okay, and we're trying to see the first the first service didn't get that at all which which tells me a lot about the level do you know what I mean the level that we're pitching it at much more a stand up comically level this one okay so there was this no there wasn't there were these three men walked in no stop it We live in this kind of world that's quite hostile to God. And if we want to follow Jesus, and if we want to follow God, and not all of you have decided that, but if you want to do that, what does it mean to not just survive but to thrive? You see, our challenge over the next four weeks is this. We don't want to just survive, but we want to thrive. But for many of you, 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, living life, the question for you is, will you even survive? So there is um, a medical condition called FTT, It means failure to thrive and um, psychologists believe that the largest mental health problem of our day is not depression or anxiety but actually FTT, the failure to thrive. Thriving is about really living, it's about vitality and the failure to do that is often called languishing and so many people, many of us perhaps in this room and many people in our society, Will live and they'll function and they'll do stuff, but actually they, on the inside, could be languishing. They could be failing to thrive. The Talmud is uh, an ancient bit of Jewish writing, and there's, there's a verse in there where they, they say this: that every blade of grass has an angel bending over the blade of grass, saying, whispering, "Grow, grow." What a beautiful picture. Like an angel, just every blade of grass. It's like, there's something in the heart of God that want, everything he's created, he wants not just to survive, but to thrive, to really grow. St. Irenaeus was an ancient uh, Christian writer and, and saint. He said this, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Like when we're fully alive, that's the glory of God. Not just when we're alive, but when we're fully alive. Many of you, if, you were, if you're as old as me, you remember that film in the 80s, Chariots of Fire, anyone remember that film? Of the runner Eric Little. We had a play about him just a couple of years ago here in the church in the 20s or 30s, whenever he ran. He was a committed Christian and, and it looked like he was going to be a, a missionary in China. Um, but, but as he was grappling with all of this, he said, But do you know what? God made me run really fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And he competed in Olympic Games and um, uh, he wouldn't run on a Sunday because that was a a deep value for him. And so the race that he should have run and he should have won, he wouldn't do that because it was on a Sunday. So he went on the next day and he ran a different race that he hadn't trained for, but he won that. But there's a bit in where, where it's just like that sense of, you know, when I'm doing what God created me to do, not only do I feel fully alive, but I feel God's pleasure. We all need that, don't we? When we're doing what God has created us to do, when we're living like that and we feel God's pleasure, we feel fully alive. We're not just surviving, we are thriving. But first, we need a reality check today. You see, Daniel's world, in which we're going to look at, was not his first choice world. In fact, it wasn't his second or third or fourth or fifth choice world. It was a no choice world. He was taken, ripped out of. Israel out of his homeland and put in another country, had to learn another language and live a different way. He had no choice. That's what happened to him. But here's the thing, most of us live under the illusion that if we could have our first choice world, then life would be so much better. But I want to tell you, nobody has their first choice world. You might think, oh yes I do because I've got the perfect job. Okay, then you might think, and husbands, you need to nod at this point. Yeah, but I've got the perfect wife. You need to nod if you're married, yeah? So so it may be that some aspects of your world are first choice, but there will be some part of your life that is not your first choice world. Take me for example. In my first choice world, I'm going to support a football team that can actually win a game of football. (laughs) It's all right, I'm all right now, I'm all right now. I'm not all right, actually. No, I'm not all right. Okay, and also, I'm going to have a different physique. So I'm going to have a six-pack and not a barrel. In my first-choice world. But actually, and if you know me, and many of you do, there's lots of things in my life which are not my first choice. And not my second choice. and not my third choice. It's the world I find myself in. And the question is this. Wherever you find yourself in life, are you going to just survive it? Which, in some cases, is, is, you know, is, is, is something... Or actually you're gonna say, I'm not just gonna survive, and that's a challenge, I'm actually gonna thrive. I'm gonna thrive in the world in which I find myself in. Not because it's my choice, but it's because that's where I am and that's where I'm gonna thrive. That's what happened to Daniel and the three friends that we're gonna look at. See there are some fantasies around there, around here which we need to kinda of bust if you like, some myths. One is this, that if I become a follower of Jesus, and I know that not all of you are, but if I become a follower of Jesus, the fantasy or the myth is this, that Jesus will give me my first choice world. That everything in my world then will be perfect, just as I would like. How many of you know that's not true? Yeah, loads of you. So if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're saying, these guys who are Christians, Jesus followers, they're only doing it because God's going to give them everything they want. That isn't true. You see, God loves us too much to give us everything we want. And God's goal is not your personal happiness. God's goal is your character becoming more and more like Jesus. And that isn't going to happen when you get everything you want. Sometimes we get some stuff that we don't want and we have to learn to dig in deep and we have to learn to thrive there. And actually in the process of that, we become the people that God wants us to become. It isn't getting everything that we want. That's a fantasy. But there's a few others as well. You see, what we think is this, I'll be happy when I get my first choice world. And we link happiness to circumstances. But then as we sang in the song, you know, beyond the circumstances, what about if my world falls apart? Am I going to lose my happiness? Or the fantasy is this, I'll be secure in my first choice world. But of course we won't. We know that's not reality. And another thing that I think, Jesus followers get into this. You know, I'll walk closely with God. I'll really thrive when I'm in my first choice world. If only I was in a different job. If only my relationship thing was different. If only I was in a different church. If only I was in a different set of friendships. If only something would change circumstantially, then I'll thrive. That's a fantasy. That's a fantasy. Daniel shows us that you can thrive where you are when you're connected to God. Now, the first step to thriving in your Babylon or your Shinar is to accept it. Embrace life as it is and decide that you are going to thrive. Daniel and his friends could easily have become victims, escapists, fantasists, waiting for their prince to come, that type of idea. You know, the kind of frozen kind of Disney idea. But they didn't do that. They said, no, do you know what? We've got no choice about this, but we have got a choice about how we're going to react and respond. How does Babylon work? If Babylon is a metaphor of the culture, how does Babylon actually work? Well, there's a verse in the Bible in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and from the J.B. Phillips paraphrase, it says this, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mould. I want to suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that that's how our world works. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, not, you might all not be at that place yet, but if you do, the world around you will squeeze you into its mould. And that's exactly what happened to Daniel and his three friends. So we're going to look at the story. So if you've got a Bible, it's Daniel chapter 1. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry. The words will come up on the screen. So what it says in verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, how does Babylon work? There are two strategies that Babylon uh, uses and they're here in this passage of the Bible. The first one is assimilation. So what Babylon does is it assimilates you into its culture. So for these guys, they had to learn the language and the customs and the rituals of Babylon. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Anyone involved in cross-cultural engagement of any description will know that when you go into another culture, you should learn that culture, you should learn the customs, preferably you should learn the language. But Babylon's strategy was more than that. It was about assimilating you not just into those things, but assimilating you into the values, the beliefs, the culture, the attitudes, and the behaviors of Babylon. And that's why, and that's why this is so important that Daniel and his three friends realize what was going on. And you see, our Babylon, our kind of culture, is just the same. If you don't know this, you need to wake up and smell the coffee. Our world is trying to force you to believe and behave in certain ways. You do know that, don't you? And here are some of the ways it it does it. Like, the more you get, the more content you'll become. That's one of the beliefs that's in our culture, that it's trying to make you believe that. If it feels right, it must be right. Most of our young people now are growing up in a world where if it feels right, it has to be right. Right? And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people who are doing stuff which clearly isn't right in, in God's sight and they know it isn't right because they read it in black and white but it feels right so it must be right. That's a Babylon attitude and culture. You deserve it because after all, you're worth it. That is part of the Babylonian culture as well. Look after number one. And, and I don't want to be political, okay, because that's not what I should do from behind here. But I, I, I want to say this... Um, It does disturb me in our nation at the moment, and I know not all of you are British, this feeling that's pervading. Do you know what? We're full up. We don't need anyone else in. We don't want anyone else in. Why are we giving money overseas when, when, when we're struggling? And I think we need to be so careful about that. I'm not sure that that's a real kingdom heart and value. But I should say, do you know what? It's not all about looking after number one. It's about actually our obligation to the rest of humanity. And not everybody who wants to come into this country is after your job and after all this. And there's a lot of stuff that goes on in, 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 in the media and stuff, which, which is distorting, I think, some important stuff here. We need to be careful of that. So assimilation is one. But the other strategy is identity theft. This is a big one. So yesterday, Alison and myself, we had a day um, together, and we were out in Shropshire, a day in the country. Love it. And um, we, <laughs> we went into Ludlow, and um, we walked into um, a church. And I was wearing a cloth cap because I've just started to wear a cloth cap at the moment. And I thought I'll fit into this whole culture scene a little bit, really, this whole country scene. So I walked into this church with this cloth cap and I went to the ward. hello, great to see you. And she said, are you from Wigan? <laughs> now, if you're not British, you haven't got a clue about that. But Wigan is a place up north where apparently they all wear cloth caps and eat pies and have whippets. you know. But I, immediately I'm like, what a random thing to say, are you from Wigan? Just because I was wearing a cap could have been some other reason, I don't know. But, but you see, identity is connecting something with something else, isn't it? She obviously connected the cap to Wigan. There you go. But in the, day of, in the day of Daniel, it wasn't anything external that really gave you your identity. It was your name. It was your name. The names of these guys connected them to their identity. So Daniel means, his name means, in, in, in Hebrew, God is my judge. Hananiah, it means the Lord shows grace. Mishael, it means the Lord is utterly unique. There's no one like him. And Azariah, it means the Lord helps. And what Babylon did is it says, these are your names that link you to your identity and your identity is your relationship with God. We're going to change your names. So they gave them other names which linked them not to their God, but to other God's. And what Babylon is trying to do here is to assimilate and to steal your identity and bring you into a culture where, do you know what? If that's right for you, that's great. But you know what? That's not the only way. You could do this way as well because it's all relative. It's all relative. This is just as valid as this. That's just as valid as this. And let me tell you, if everything is true, nothing is true. That's the world in which these guys found themselves in and their names were changed and you see Babylon if you look at Babylon where it comes from in, in Genesis chapter 11 you see the story of the tower of Babel where they were trying to reach heaven and the reason they were trying to reach heaven says it in the text let us make a name for ourselves there's two ways to live your life folks you can either live your life trying to make a name for yourself or you can live your life for God's glory and live for his name and let him do what he wants to do through you I don't know which one I prefer and here's these guys, and they're in this situation where their identity was being stolen. And they were given these other names. What ways is our identity stolen? What defines us in our culture? I wonder if image is one of those things. You know, interestingly enough, the, Babylon, the Babylonians, they were obsessed with obesity. They thought, the bigger you were, the more virtuous you were. That's actually what they thought. So they tried to fatten them up. It's not quite like that in our culture, is it? It's a little bit the opposite. Image, you are what you look like. What about success? You are what you have and what you achieve. What about wealth? You are what you own and what you possess. What about relationships? You are who's hanging off your arm. What's your relationship status? These are the kind of things that our world shapes us and forces us into a mold to say, this is where your identity comes from. And I want to tell you, it's not where our our identity comes from. Our identity comes from who we are in God, isn't it? So it doesn't matter what our relationship status is. Our identity is in God. It doesn't matter how much wealth or possessions or success or image. It doesn't matter whether you're fat or thin. It really isn't as important as knowing who you are in God. And Daniel and his friends survived and actually thrived because of the one key verse that I want you to look at this morning. And that's verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Every week, I want to give you one big idea for you to think about. So if you forget everything else, just think about this one big idea, and it's this. We thrive by making decisions consistent with our deepest values. You will thrive in your Babylon, whatever it is, whether it's at work, whether it's in your relational world, whatever it is, by making decisions consistent with your deepest values. You see, resolved, the word resolved there also means purposed or determined. It's more than a spur-of-the-moment decision. It's, it's, like, it's like Daniel was saying, do you know what? Uh, yeah, you can push us there and we'll do that. And okay, change my name. Yeah, we'll do that. But whoa, no, no, no. You're not doing that. Here is a line. It's not going to be crossed. Now you've got to decide what that line is for you. I heard a statistic this week. I can say that word without spitting it right. Statistic this week, um, which really upset me. And it upset me again as I speak it out. The statistic was this. 70% of young people who follow Jesus, when they go to university, lose their faith. Does that bother you? Because it really bothers me. And the reason that 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 is such a big figure is because young people who perhaps are in a church environment and they're following Jesus as a teenager or a kid and a teenager, it's like being in Jerusalem. But then something happens when they go to uni and they're ripped out of there and they're placed into a whole different world and it's Babylon. It's Babylon. And in their Babylon there, tr- the, the pressure to squeeze into that mould and to be like everyone else is huge. And so it tries to assimilate them into its values and its cultures and its attitudes and its beliefs and its behaviours. It tries to take away their identity and give them a new name. And all of a sudden, they're, they're a million miles from where they were, but spiritually, they've lost their faith. Which is why if you ever say, oh, we talk a lot about young people in this church. Yes, we absolutely do. Because it is so, so important. The work that our guys and our team are doing with Resound and with college age and what we're trying to do with young adults. It's so important because so many people lose grip of who they are when they go into that kind of world. Now, if you are in that kind of world, let me speak to you as well. These guys were in Babylon and they didn't lose their faith. They were part of the 30% who didn't. How come they didn't? Well, the answer is in this verse. They resolved not to defile themselves. They resolved to make decisions consistent with their deepest values. And I want to share a couple of things with you about this. Number one, you choose the values you live your life by. You choose the values you live your life by. You know, it's, you look at this and you think, well, I don't get this. Because Daniel and his friends, they, they learned the language. They, they ate the food, you know, up until this point, And they... They did all the custom stuff and then they allowed them to change their names. Yet when they said, now eat this food and wine, they said no. So what's going on? Like, Why would they do that and not the other? And that's a very interesting question. I'm really glad you asked that. Okay, really glad you asked that. Let me help you with that. You see, when you live in Babylon, you have to learn to blend compromise, negotiation and spirituality. Many of you will know that in your workplace. You will know that you can't fall down to your knees and pray every single moment that you want to at work because you'll get looked at very weirdly. You have to actually blend compromise, negotiation and spirituality. Life is not all black and white. In fact, it's a lot more like shades of grey and not 50. It's a lot more like shades of grey than black and white. How do I avoid lying and keep my job? How do I display kindness to this person who is not doing a job well in the team? How do I keep friendship in the office without participating in the gossip and the backbiting of the office? How do I connect meaningfully with people who don't share my values or beliefs? It's difficult to thrive in a world that's grey like that. But you know, I want to share a little picture with you which has been really helpful to me and I hope it's helpful to you. And I also know that my Babylon is very different from most of yours. You live in a much more hostile world than I live in working here in the church. Although sometimes we do have our days. Can I just say that? I'm joking. So I know that, and I've got the utmost respect for you, those of you that, like Paul, that we've heard this morning, that don't just want to turn up and get a paycheck, but actually want to turn up and make a difference where God has placed them. Phenomenal. But this little has really helped me. You see, if you look at your life like a photograph, that's one thing. But if you look at it like a video, it's a whole different thing. So if you take a snapshot of some aspects of your life, you might think, well, oh, that's, a, that's a bit of a strange thing. They say they're a follower of Jesus. But if you took a video, would it look any different? Let me give you an example. Several years ago, it's a long time ago now, um, myself uh, and Lee, one of the other worship leaders and elders in the church, and a couple of other musicians, we'd been leading worship here in church on a Sunday night. After the Sunday night service, we went to a punk rock club. And we went to a punk rock club because uh, for a reason. And, and we, as we were in the punk rock, obviously as you can imagine, we'd all just been in church. We all went just 20 minutes away to a punk rock club. We blended in perfectly not okay we looked we looked, we really did look like christians in a punk rock club to be honest with you not that we had sandals on or anything like that so we tried to do that but but the hair and everything and there were people with guys with tops bare and you know bullet belts and all kinds of tattoos everywhere piercings everywhere and we went there if you took a photograph of that you might think hang on a minute 20 minutes ago you were in the church worshiping god and here you are in a punk rock club what's going on but if you took a video, you'd see something very different. You see, we were there to go see a friend of ours who was a drummer in a punk rock band. Him and his girlfriend had arrived at the church, and they were in our small group, and we got to know them. And he would come to church. He wasn't a Christian. She wasn't a Christian. But they would come to church, and we got a relationship going. And then he said, listen, I'm playing at a punk rock. Would you come and hear them? I said, yeah, we'll go and hear your band. You come and hear ours. We'll go and hear yours. Theirs was louder than ours, can I just tell you? <laughs> very much so. And, and so we went. And actually, he never committed to Christ, but she did. She's since emigrated and we're in touch all these years later and she's still following Jesus now. So so what I want to say is that if you took a photograph of our interaction there, it would look very different than a video. And for some of you in your world, you need to hold on to that. Because you're faced with situations where you think, if someone was take a photograph here, what would it look like? That's one thing. What, What about if they took a video, would it look different? Because we have to learn to blend these things in our Babylon. And you see, when we don't, when we don't know what our deepest values are, when we don't know where we'll draw the line, when we don't know where we say, no, here, no further than this, when we don't know what that value is, we end up being attached or being connected or being caught by all kinds of things that we would never dream of. So the man who flirts in the office never thinks that that's going to end up in, in adultery and a broken marriage. The woman who allows envy to control and never thinks she's going to end up with it being so destructive in her life. The young man who watches too much late night TV never believes he's going to end up addicted to porn. Or the businessman, which you may have read about in the paper a few weeks ago, who uh, regularly commutes into London, decided he's not going to pay the rail fare. Anyone hear this story? They finally caught him. They said, you've got to pay back all the fares that you've not paid, £42,000. It's about four trips to London. No, it's not. it's not. It's not. It's not first class, all that. And you start with something and you end up there. That's because you're not going to survive. You're not going to thrive unless you know what your deepest values are. And you say, do you know what? I am not going to cross this line. This line is not going to be crossed. Daniel drew the line at the food and wine. He let let other things happen. You know, scholars think they don't really know why. And I kind of like that because I think actually you've you've got to draw your own lines very easy for me to get up and say, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and you should do that. Like, what films are you going to watch? Well, let me give you a list of films you can watch. Let me feel, I'm not going to do that. You've got to draw that line yourself. You've got to know which are your deepest values out of your relationship with God, and what's consistent to you and you've got to stick to that. But actually, scholars do think if there's anything in this link with the food and wine, it's like it was the, the wine was actually poured into the vessels that were taken from the temple in Jerusalem and there's something here that perhaps uh, Daniel and his friends are saying, you know, you can do all of that to us But you touch the name of God and that's a different deal. Perhaps there's something in that. Second thing I want to say is this. You choose the kind of reputation you get. That's quite controversial. People say, oh, no, no, I just got this reputation. I think you choose the reputation that you get. You see, they put their money where their mouth was. They said, listen, we don't want to eat that food and wine. But I tell you what, test us and we'll put our money where our mouth was. So this is what happened in verse 11. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. See, they said, listen, we're not just going to like sulk about it. Test us and we'll show you that actually our faith in God and honoring our deepest values works. Carries on. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, the king. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. You see, they went further than just sticking to their values. They did a really great job where they were. And I want to say to you, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're excused, okay? You can do a bad job. That's fine. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear this. You should be the best employee in your office. And if you're an employer... You should be the best employer as well. Because we we don't just work for that organisation, that company. We work for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the Bible says that work has been created that we would honour God and reflect who God is. And we would live our life for Him. We should be great employees. Isn't that right? Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because that is that whole attitude of wanting to thrive. And I think thriving at work is is much more uh, about, can I get through this week and survive and still be a follower of Jesus next Sunday? You know, that would be success. Well, perhaps it would. But I want to suggest there's a few other things. You see, it's more than being influenced by your environment. It's about willing to influence your environment. It's about more than than just letting, thinking, well, well, I'm not going to speak like that. But it's about actually you being a positive influence on your environment. It's more than your faith surviving. It's about being on the cutting edge of witnessing for Christ where you are. It's so more than living a good life. It's about becoming an apologetic for a God life. What do I mean by that? Apologetics are when we give a reason for the faith that we have. We give a defense for that. Now that comes by the way we live, but it also comes by the words that we say and by the deeds that we do. And we need to not just be, you know, just kind of talk about apologetics. We need to become that apologetic. So when people say, do you know what? I think I know why you follow Jesus because I see your life and I see that actually it works. It works. And like Paul said, finding those mechanisms where you can connect to God through the day so it doesn't all blow up and blow out, but actually where you can he- know God's presence at work within you. It's so more, more than not speaking bad words. It's about speaking up with life-giving words. I wonder if your office, in, if it's very negative and stuff, are you the one that says, hang on guys, come on, and speak the life-giving words? Because that's why we're there. That's why we're there to reflect who God is. It's more than moaning about what is, it's about giving hope for what could be in the Babylon that he has placed us. Something else I want to share with you as we finish. There's somebody else at work in Babylon, and you may not know this, and someone else is at work in your Babylon as well. You see, when you thrive in your second choice world, you make a discovery. You make a discovery that there's someone else at work in Babylon. Babylon. And if you read chapter 1 backwards it's quite interesting verse 17 it says god gave knowledge and understanding in verse 9 it says god caused the official to show favor in verse 2 it says the lord delivered the king what does this mean this means that god is with you wherever you are god is at work in your babylon in ways that you would never believe You see, to us when we read the story, it looks like the big superpower has overtaken the little power. All right, Babylon has overtaken Israel. But you know, Daniel and his three friends are like, you think you're big? You ain't not big at all. You'll see nothing yet. Our God is way bigger than you will ever be. And they knew that God was at work in their Babylon. And I just want to, as the start of this series, I'd love you to hook into this whole series. It's such a great Bible, great book in the Bible. This is an amazing book. But I've got the hunch, sneaking hunch, that over the next few weeks, you are going to experience that God's at work in your Babylon too. You're going to hear from some people over the next few weeks. God's going to speak to you and encourage you and challenge you and just show you and reveal to you that actually, you might think that you're the one that's ripped out of home, if you like, and placed into this hostile environment. And can I just say, some of you who've left other countries and you've come over here. Perhaps to work, or perhaps to be in a mission organisation. We love you. It's really difficult. It is really difficult going away from your home and your culture. And even if you're an English-speaking person, we know that we're British and we're different from other English-speaking cultures. It's really tough. You're going to feel that you're very isolated sometimes. That you know, where are your roots? Where are yours? We love you. We want you to feel connected. We want you to add to us. We want you to thrive where you are. You're going to discover that God's at work when you're in your Babylon. You see, God does something amazing. One of my favourite verses in the Bible is from the book of Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, uh, chapter 16 and verse 9. And it says this, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Isn't that a great verse? It's like the eyes of the Lord, not just glance, range. desperately seeking looking range throughout the earth looking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him you might not feel that you're very strong right now but your heart is committed to Him God says that's all I need if your heart is committed to me if you want to thrive where you are my eyes are going to focus they're going to lock in on you and I'm going to strengthen you right where you are so what I want to do this morning before we sing as we close is if any of you here this morning and you're in your Babylon, you're really struggling right now. You feel under pressure. You feel like you're barely surviving and you want to thrive. I want you to respond to God. I want you just to stand. Because as you stand, as you stand, I believe God's eyes are locking in on you. the Bible says He's going to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. So that could be at work. Could be in your relational world right now where you think this is a Babylon, however did I end up here. Could be in your health, could be in your finances, wherever it is. I want you just to stand and I'm going to pray for you. So if that's you, you stand. Father, Lord Jesus, would you you be gracious to these fantastic people who are standing before you this morning? God, they didn't choose this place where they find themselves in, but Lord, they're there. God, I want to pray that you'd strengthen them by your Spirit. I want to pray, Lord God, that you would do what it says in your Word that you're going to do, that you'd strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to you. God, I pray, I pray for strength every day. I pray, Lord Jesus, for that sense of your presence, that when they look around, they think, God, do you even know that this is where I am, let alone are you here? I pray that things would happen, even this next couple of weeks, that would show them that you have not forgotten them. So God, would you show up in some amazing ways. And Lord, as they turn their heart again towards you again, God, I pray not only would you strengthen them, but God, I pray you give them courage. I pray you give them peace. And Lord, I pray you give them the sense of your presence. In Jesus' name.